If you're taking notes this morning, you can title this morning's message, Think Biblically. Think Biblically. This morning, we're beginning a three-week series looking at the vision of our church. When I was thinking about some of you guys recently, I was thinking about how many of you have kind of come along our way, been, become part of our Coastline family over the past few months. And when I thought about that, I thought, man, most of you probably have no clue what the vision of our church is. Unless you got onto our website and really digged and really searched to figure it out before you came, there's a good chance you had no clue that the vision of our church is to think biblically, live missionally, and love relationally. When we first planted our church, I went onto other churches' websites to see what their visions were. I, I knew that in starting a church, there had to be a vision, and it had to be articulated well. It had to be put into words. And so what I found was that many churches, when it comes to their vision, they get cute, and they get creative. What I found was most churches somehow had some sort of thought behind their vision. Some have visions where all the words rhyme, and so you go on, and you know, you, and, and can you, can't you just picture the pastor sitting there in his office like, um, Bible, okay, well, um, revival, and, and, and sitting there just trying to come up with words for his vision, trying to make them all rhyme. Some have visions that form an acronym, right? Some of them put words together and they spell out a bigger word and that bigger word becomes their vision. Some visions have words that start with the same letter. And for us, when we first started our church, this was the lane that we decided to go down. So as I saw what different churches were doing for their visions, I thought to myself, let's go with the same letter. And so we went with the letter E, the letter E. Some of you guys might remember we had the four E's of Coastline. They were to, our, our vision was that we want to edify the body of Christ. We want to evangelize the unsaved. We want to encourage those within the body of Christ, and we want to equip the believer. And so we put it on our website. In fact, if you were with us when we were at Walgrove at the very beginning, we even had a little board um, when you walk in, and there they were, the four E's of coastline. Now, all those words did point directly to four essentials. You see, I, I got another E there. Essential truths in Scripture, but it eventually, I'm going to stop, okay, but it eventually became confusing because I'd say things like, um, you know, we're here to encourage or, or we're here to exhort. Or sometimes I would even be confused. I'm like, wait, which one is it? Is it exhort or, or and I'd have to look at Pastor Sunday. Wait, what's our vision again? Is it exhort or, or, or encourage? I, I don't remember. And for me, I just kind of quickly got confused by the four E's. And so then we quickly pivoted to a new vision that first year. And so eventually our vision became a vision of love. And, you know, in the, in, in the theme of trying to get creative and, and everything else, you know, there used to be that song by Mariah Carey, Vision of Love. How many of you guys know that song? Okay. I had a vision of love and it was all 
anyways, listen. And, and so I thought, oh, this is really cool. People see our flyer, and they'll think of Mariah. And I don't know what I was thinking, but and, and they weren't thinking about Jesus when they saw the flyer. But I just remember thinking, that's kind of cute. We have a vision of love, and that was the play on words. Love God, love people, love his word. Well, we had that vision for a couple years, and then about seven years ago, I was sitting at a pastor's conference, and the speaker was talking about the vision of a church and, what, and whether the vision actually matched what was happening at the church. And one of the things he told us to do was he encouraged those who were attending, those who were leading churches, to sit with the Lord and to not get cute or creative, but to do an honest reflection while asking ourselves a couple of questions. And the two questions that he told us to ask ourselves was, number one, what is God actually doing in your church? Part of your vision should actually be what God's doing, right? And then number two was, what are you passionate about seeing God do with the people within your church? So what is God actually doing And what are you passionate about seeing God do with the people within your church? And as I sat with the Lord, he confirmed in my heart what I'm most passionate about and what I'd like to see our church, our people, passionate about. And so we went from the three or for the four E's to having a vision of love to seven years ago as I sat with the Lord the Lord gave me three simple things that I'm passionate about and that my prayer is that we as a church would be passionate about. And the first thing that the Lord gave me was that as a pastor, I am passionate about people thinking biblically. For me, there is no greater thing. To me, there is no greater responsibility. And we're going to focus on that in just a couple minutes. There is no greater responsibility that God has given to me, entrusted to me, made me a steward of, than to teach the Word of God, than to encourage the people of God to think biblically, to have a biblical world view, to see things through the lens of Scripture. And then the second thing that the Lord confirmed in my heart was that as a pastor, I'm passionate about our people living missionally. When Christina and I, when we first planted the church, we left the area we were living in, we moved up the 405 freeway, and we moved into the community where our church would be. And although That drive along the 405 was only a 30-minute drive. It felt like a completely different world where God had taken us. And while we were there, although we didn't get on an airplane, although we didn't have to raise $2,000 to go on a mission trip, every single day we lived as if we were missionaries in this community. And so for us, one of the things that we are passionate about is living in our communities as if we're missionaries. And so living missionally. And then the third thing, and some of you guys already know this one because this is the one you probably hear me talk about the most, but as a pastor, I'm passionate about our people loving relationally. 
loving relationally. I, I, I love seeing people come to church. I love people saying, hey, I think I'm going to stick around. And I love watching as people get to know one another, become invested in one another. I love watching the body of Christ love on each other. To me, it's such a beautiful thing when people come and they just say, man, we may not have a lot in common out there, but we have everything in common in Christ. And so I'm passionate about our people loving relationally. And so those are the three things. Those are the things that we're going to talk about over the next three weeks. Thinking biblically, living missionally, and loving relationally. Now, this morning, I'd like to focus on the first statement in our vision, thinking biblically. And I'd like to teach out a 2 Timothy chapter 4 to drive home our point this morning. I believe that this text does a wonderful job of expressing why a church and why a pastor must make thinking biblically a priority. Now, before we study our text this morning, let me give you a little, ba- a little bit of a background, a little bit of context into our passage. 2 Timothy is a letter that the Apostle Paul writes near the end of his life while he was in prison. And this letter that he writes is written to a young pastor in the ministry by the name of Timothy. Now, Timothy was someone that Paul, or someone that was very near and dear to Paul, Paul, when he was on his first missionary journey in the area of Derby and Lystra, he actually meets a super young, an elementary age, Timothy. And according to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, Timothy becomes a son in the faith to Paul. Now, Timothy would go on to serve as Paul's representative to the churches. Remember, many times Paul couldn't go out because of persecution. He couldn't go out because of imprisonment. And so there's many times where he would send Timothy to represent him to churches. And we see this play out in the letters that Paul writes to the church of Corinth and to the letter there to Philippi. But eventually, Timothy settled down. Eventually, Timothy is given his own church. He's given the responsibility of pastoring the church in Ephesus. Now, while pastoring in Ephesus, Timothy experiences some difficulties. Just like any pastor, there are different obstacles, difficulties that come along his way. One of the difficulties, one of the obstacles that come his way is eventually Timothy starts to experience health problems. According to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, we see that there was some sort of chronic illness that required attention. And not just immediate attention, but daily attention for Timothy. But what I want to focus on this morning is one of the other challenges, one of the other difficulties that Timothy faced while pastoring. And that was the challenge of having false teachers come into his church. It was the difficulty, the obstacle of having false teachers coming into the body of Christ and trying to draw the believer away with enticing teaching. 
in his second letter here that we're going to study this morning, Paul warned Timothy about false teachers. He said that, Timothy, as a pastor, you're going to encounter those who are going to come into the body of Christ, and they're going to go after your flock. He says, I want you to encourage your flock to stay away. I want you to encourage your flock to know the difference between sound doctrine, healthy doctrine, and unhealthy, and unbiblical doctrine. Timothy, this is your responsibility. Timothy, as a pastor, you need to challenge. You need to encourage. You need to make sure that the people that you shepherd, the flock that you shepherd, that they're thinking biblically. Because people are going to come and they're going to try and steer them away. Now, it's with this background this morning that we start here in chapter 4. Would you take a look at verse 1 with me? He says in verse 1, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. And verse 2 starts with the phrase, he says, preach the word. In other words, Timothy, there's a lot of false teaching out there, so you must continue to preach the word and teach truth. I want you to take a look at with me the beginning couple of words here in verse 1. The opening statement of verse 1 says this. It says, I charge you. If you have your pen, pencils, highlighters, something that makes a line this morning, there in verse 1, would you underline that phrase, I charge you. This word charge, it's actually in the original language in the Greek, a very strong word. It's meant to grab someone's attention. He says, I charge you. In the Greek, this word it has this legal connection that can mean to testify under oath. So as a pastor, such as what Timothy was, he says this, I charge this to you. He says, Timothy, preach the word. Teach the word. Listen, give me eyes for a moment, church. The pastor is to teach the word as if he was under oath. He says, this is the charge I give to you. Now, when someone is under oath, there are certain things that they're responsible for, right? They must speak the truth no matter what. Because their future... And the future of others hangs in what they testify. He says, Timothy, char I charge you, preach the word. In a similar fashion, pulpit ministry, teaching ministry within a church, must have as, as its priority a passion to preach the word, to teach the word. Or in other words, to testify truth so that its flock will be taught to think biblically. Now, before we move on from this idea of testifying under oath, it's important to also bring this up to you guys this morning. Testifying under oath always involves a judge, right? When you hear the word, when you hear the phrase, when you think about the scene, testifying under oath involves a judge, 
Go, go back with me to verse 1. He says, I charge you. Or, Timothy, let me remind you, you are under oath. Now, look at what it says after verse 1. It says, before God, you are under oath. Every time you teach, you are under oath, in a sense, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead and his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Paul wants Timothy to remember that every time he preaches and every time he teaches, he is under oath before the ultimate judge. That's why when you hear in Scripture, hey, those who teach the Word of God, they will be what? Judged more strictly, more harshly, right? Because we do this, I do this. If you're given the, the responsibility of doing that, you do it knowing you're going to be judged. You are under oath. And he reminds Timothy, hey, Timothy, every time you go up to teach, every time you're called to preach the word, I want to remind you of who's listening. I want to remind you of who's in the crowd. You see, I think it's easy to forget sometimes that God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ go to church too. As a teacher, I can become so fixated on who's in the seat. Who's here today? Who's with us? Who's new today? Who's visiting today? I can become so fixated on who's in the seats. But as a teacher, let me tell you guys this also, I can become fixated on who's not in the seats. As I was putting together or finishing up my notes last night and into this morning, I kept getting text messages. I probably got maybe about four text messages between last night and this morning from people texting me, hey, not going to make it tomorrow. Hey, can't make it tomorrow. Hey, the kids are sick. I, I if, if you're watching online, hi, I'm talking about you. But listen, I, I was getting these text messages. I was, I was finishing my notes. And all of a sudden, as I was finishing, I, was, I, I, I wasn't thinking about who was going to be here this morning, but I was thinking about, man, that's a lot of people that are not going to be here this morning. As a teacher, it's easy to become fixated on who's not in the seats. But it's also easy to become fixated on who I hope eventually will be in the seats. Well, these people are good, but who else can we bring? They're great, but who else can we get Stacy to recruit? Or whatever it might be, right? How many of you guys are a Stacy recruit this morning? No, I'm just kidding. Listen, it's easy to forget that God goes to our church. That the Lord Jesus Christ hears everything that is said essentially under oath every Sunday or every Wednesday evening. And so for me, this reminds me, or well, let me say it a different way, this warns me, there better be truth coming out my mouth because I am testifying under oath. And the judge of all judges, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, Here's exactly what's coming from our pulpit. And so he says, I charge you. 
before God. Preach the word. Timothy, preach. Teach your flock to think biblically. Now, this leads us to a, uh, a thought this morning, a logical question. What does preaching the word do? What's the point of it? What does it accomplish? Go back with me to verse 2. It says that preaching the word does these things. In verse 2, it says, Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. So as I preach the word, as I teach the word, as I instruct the body of Christ in the word of God, as I challenge people to think biblically, what it does is it convinces a person of the truth. You see, my prayer every single time is if there's someone in the room, if there's someone watching online, if there's someone who might eventually watch or listen my prayer is that if they are not convinced of God's word, that they would become convinced of truth. Now, now the second word, it says, it says, convince, rebuke. My prayer is that every time God's word goes out, every time God's word is preached, that it would rebuke. Some of you are like, I don't like the word rebuke. It sounds a whole lot like Lewis. But anyways, listen, okay, maybe you don't like the word rebuke. But how about this? Another word for rebuke is correct. Correct. My prayer is that every time the word goes forth, that it would rebuke or that it would correct a person's thinking. So if the way that we're thinking, if the way that someone's thinking is offline, off course, if it's veered, our prayer is that the word of God would come in and correct or rebuke the way a person is thinking. And then notice the third word there in verse 2, convince, rebuke, exhort, exhort. Preaching the word exhorts, or the word, the word exhort literally means to strongly encourage. So the word of God, the preaching of God's word, it exhorts a person to live right before God. And so every time we come together, every time the word of God is taught, my prayer is that it would strongly encourage someone to either get right with God or continue to live right with God. Preaching the word, encouraging people to think biblically is the healthiest thing that a pastor can do for a person. Why? Read verse 3 with me. It says in verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound or healthy doctrine. Right now, there's so much unhealthy that's being fed to people. Right now, there's so much unhealthy that's being fed to our children. Well, what do you mean? Can you define unhealthy? You know what unhealthy is. You know what's going on in your house or what's being fed to them. There's so much unhealthy that's being fed to people. As Christians, we are to view everything through the lens of Scripture. We are to have a biblical worldview. Yet one of the things that I see happening more and more in the church 
is that we are not thinking biblically, but we are thinking emotionally. We are not invested in Scripture. We're invested with simply only our hearts. And Jeremiah tells us that our hearts are what? Deceitfully wicked. And so if the only investment that we make into this world, into the way that we think, is emotional, our heart can deceive us. Our heart can steer us in directions that are unhealthy. I believe that even in our politics, even in our morals, we can lean emotionally and not biblically. And I'll tell you guys, that's unhealthy. There was an article I read this week. I don't usually go too political. I'm, you know, I'm not out here bashing fools or anything like, you know, like, like, like some pastors do. I'm not out here killing on people. But there's an article that I read this week, this past Wednesday. And the headline, I'm just going to read you the headline. I'm not going to read the whole article. But it says this. It says, Newsom signs bill allowing children to hide sex operations and abortions from parents. And obviously, I clicked on it, went on to see what this bill is that he's proposing that he wants to sign. And in response to this bill, a group of Republicans from the California Senate wrote these words. They wrote, we should be encouraging parents and family to be involved in their children's lives, not removing them further from it. And let me say this. I, I don't know which way you lean politically whether you're blue or red or whether you're this or that or you lean one way or you lean the other way. But let me tell you something. When you see a headline like that, it doesn't matter what color you support. It doesn't matter which way you lean. I think some of us are so focused on colors that we're not leaning biblically anymore. You see, when you think biblically, when you choose to lean the way of Scripture, you can read a headline like this and be grieved. You can read something like this and say, man, that's another thing. That's another thing for my kids to have to go through. That's another thing for me as a parent to have to have that type of conversation with one of my kids. You know, some of you might not be there yet. Some of your kids, you know, this conversation, this topic might not be age appropriate yet for maybe where the season that your kids find themselves in. But for me, with 18-year-old, 17-year-old, 15-year-old, 12-year-old, this is exactly the season that I find myself in. Where I'm trying to bring my kids in and I'm fighting. I'm battling the enemy. I'm battling emotion. I'm, I'm battling all sorts of things that are trying to pull my kids away from me. And I'm trying everything I can to keep them close and give them scripture, give them the Lord. You look and you just think, man, another thing trying to pull them away. If you're someone that professes to be a Christian and you see no problem with that type of headline, I challenge you to think biblically and not emotionally. You see, when you think emotionally, you think, well, it varies on the situation or 
let me hear the kid's story, or, or man, it was a mistake, or you think emotionally, right? Because there's a story behind it. But when you believe in truth, when you believe in absolute truth, you can also point to Scripture that says, hey, that doesn't line up with the heart of God. That doesn't line up with what this book in, that I hold in my hand, that I believe to be the very words of God, living, active, sharply two-edged sword. The book that I hold in my hand, the, the one that charts my life, the one that steers my course. You see, we have to figure out, okay, where do I stand? What do I believe? He says there are going to come a time when there's unhealthy, unsound doctrine. Would you write this verse down? In John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said these words. He says, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And so the, 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 the mark, the sign, the way that you can tell whether or not someone belongs to the Lord has to do with what they do with his teachings, what they do with his word, not how they feel emotionally, or not where they lean politically, but what they do with this word. Now, when your thinking is not healthy, according to the scripture here, your own desires take over. Can you keep reading with me, verse, verse 3? It says, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. So when someone's own desire, usually it's, it's an emotional desire, draws them away from truth, it says because they have itching ears, they will go and they will seek out for themselves alternate sources of truth, alternate teaching. And that's what Timothy, and that's what every pastor since Timothy has been facing, where you have a flock that because of their own desire, because of the way that they feel about certain things, they, if, if their pastor, if their church will not tell them what they want to hear, they will go and they will seek out other pastors, other teachers, other religious people to tell them what they do want to hear. When the preaching doesn't line up with our own desires, they go on a search to find someone that will tell them what they want to hear. The Bible refers to this as having itching ears. If you have your pen pencils there in verse 3, you can underline that, having itching ears. The word itching ears or itching in the Greek, if you're taking notes, would you write this down? It literally means to rub or tickle. So there are some who, when it comes to teaching, they would like to be rubbed or tickled. They want someone to come along, not correct them, not tell them they're wrong, but they want to be rubbed or tickled. You see, to tickle one's ears is to desire massages rather than messages. 
So when you come to church, let me ask you a question. Do you want to be massaged in your own desires? Or do you want a message? Do you want to be taught the word of God? When you come, do you want sermons that charm? Or do you want, or do you want sermons that challenge? Sermons that make you feel so special with no mention of sin? Or do we want to be challenged to live right before the Lord? When we come to church, do we want messages? Do we want to be tickled with entertainment rather than encouragement? Do we want to be entertained? A few weeks ago, when Charles taught on Sunday morning, he talked about what true worship is, right? And what true worship is not. And so many people want to become and they want to be entertained by the worship. They want to be entertained by the teaching. Let me tell you guys, most of you know I used to do um, high school ministry before this. And I'm not going to even lie. This is going to sound very prideful. I might need to go to Stacy's Bible study on Saturday so I can get the heart of Jesus and the attitude of Jesus. Because I'm going to just say this. I was actually, in my opinion, very good at doing high school ministry. Right? I, I need to go to her thing, okay, and get a little humble. But this is my thing. If those of you that used to be there um, in that season of my life, I got to the point where because of the age group that I was ministering to, I felt that I had to be part entertainer, part pastor. And so I, I and some of you guys know this, some of you don't, I actually created this alter ego, this alter persona named Randiculous, who used to be a pastor at Calvary Chapel South Bay doing high school ministry. You see, because Randolph wasn't effective enough to reach high school kids, and so we had to create Randiculous. And Randiculous used to say some ridiculous things, all in the name of trying to entertain. And I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll be honest, I remember telling people, people would be like, oh, what, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm, I'm a comedian on Sundays. You know, that, 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 that's literally how I felt after a while. I have to be a comedian on Sundays. It has to be entertaining. And that's when the Lord started to kind of change my heart. It's like, no, 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 no. You are more about entertaining than encouraging. Your, your, your teaching has turned more entertaining than edifying. Not saying I was a false teacher and you should stone me or anything. Like, Let's stone ridiculous. But listen, some people like to be tickled. They'd rather be entertained than edified. Let me say this this morning. Some of us rather have our own desires pleased rather than the word of God preached to us. It is these desires that force a person to believe whatever he wants to believe rather than the actual truth itself. When people have itching ears, they decide for themselves what is right what is wrong. And they interpret scripture in a way that fits their own emotional desires. Keep reading with me in verse 4 as we continue this, this talk of itching ears. It says, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Those with itching ears will constantly turn their ears away from the truth. They want to be rubbed. They want to be tickled. They want to be told that whatever they think, whatever they feel, 
is right. And if I can't find it at Cosine, I'll go somewhere else. And if it's not there, then I'll find another place. And I will bounce around until someone tickles me. Until someone massages me. Until someone rubs me the way that I want to be rubbed with what I believe. And so people bounce around from teacher to teacher. Now, before most of us say, man, I would never do that, right? That's what most of us are thinking, right? I, I, I would never do that. And maybe you might even be looking around the room this morning, I wonder, who, I wonder if there's anybody else in the room who's like that. In fact, some of us might be sitting our seats this morning, oh, two rows ahead. I, I think they're like that. No, no, no. L listen, I think all of us at some point have been guilty of having itching ears. Maybe not when it comes to truth, maybe not when it comes to the Bible, but I know for a fact that every single one of us has been guilty of itching ears. On Friday, I had a doctor's appointment. And I'll tell you guys this, the doctor's appointment did not go well. I went on Wednesday, I, I, got, I did some lab work, and um, Friday morning the lab work came in. I had a doctor's appointment at 9 a.m. I went on to my little my my chart anybody got my chart the my chart app and the my my chart app um, I guess the doctor didn't wait for me to go into the office he actually put in the notes already what he was going to talk to me about and so um, so I saw it and I was like oh and so I went in and doctor gave me some news about my health and basically the doctor says you need to lose weight you need to get on a diet. No more pork, no more bacon, no more red meat. And, you know, he told me about some stuff going on. And I just remember the first thought in my head was, I refuse to give up bacon. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is no way that I'm going to give up bacon. And the doctor's telling me, but your blood pressure, you know, it's like 230 over 140. You know, you need to, you need to get this down. I'm like, I've been taking the pills. And he's like, you got to get down. And, and then he tells me my BMI. I'm not even going to tell you what my BMI is. Let's just say it's over 30. And so he goes, and, and all of this news requires diet, exercise, and giving up of bacon. And my first response, my first initial thought was, I'll find another doctor. Right? How many of you have ever said that before, right? I don't like what this doctor's telling me, so I'm going to go to another doctor. I will find a doctor that lets me eat bacon and just gives me a pill, you know? That was my first thought. I was like, there's no way I'm going to stop. Fried pork, chicharron, that's my favorite. There's no way I'm giving it up. There has to be someone out there that will give me a, a you-can-eat-all-the-pork-you-want as long as you take this pill type of doctor. That was my first reaction. I, I'm, I'm out, I'm moving, peace, you know, see you later. But the reality was the doctor was only giving me the truth, right? And my first reaction was I don't like the truth. I don't like what the tests show. I don't like what you're telling me. I'll go find someone else that will tell me what I want to hear. I'll go find someone else that will tell me that I can, that it's okay. That's what we do. We did it when we were kids. You go to one parent, 
you don't like what they have to say, then what do you do? You go the other parent. That parent says, hey, I, I agree with dad. Oh, well, I don't like either one of you. So what do you do? You go to grandma and grandpa. Grandma and grandpa tell you the same exact thing. So what do you do? You go find uncle, a drunk Uncle Norm, and he'll tell you anything. Right? And you're like, I don't like you, you, but I love him. Right? What do you do? You bounce around trying to find the answer you want, the truth that you want. And that's what we do with churches. And that's what we do with preachers. And that's what we do with teaching. Oh, you want me to think a certain way? I'm out of here. I'll go find a church that suits my thinking. I'll go find a church that's passionate about what I'm passionate about. And so we bounce, we move. As we finish up this morning, our theme is thinking biblically. And I want to leave you guys this morning with three reasons why thinking biblically is so important. And I want to give you guys three reasons this morning why you shouldn't run from the truth. And I want to give you guys three reasons this morning why it's so important to stay grounded, to stay steadfast in the truth that you've been taught. Why it's so important to say, hey, I know what they say out there. I know the direction things are going, but I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to stay right here glued stuck to God's word. We were going through 2 Samuel, right? The life of David. One of the things we didn't get to talk about when we were in 2 Samuel was David's mighty men. And there was one mighty man in particular in, in chapter 23, 2 Samuel, and he was a man by the name of Eleazar. Kind of a weird name, isn't it? Who names their kid Eleazar? But anyways, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Sorry, Eleazar in the booth. Listen, Eleazar, this is interesting. You know, you know what he was known for? He was known for being one of David's mighty men. He went to battle with David. And he was also known for this. He was known for being the man who, while in battle, while fighting with his sword, that he fought so hard and so long with his sword that his hands became stuck to the sword. It, it literally says that, Second. Samuel chapter 23, he fought and his hand became stuck to the sword. And then the very next verse, as his hand is stuck to the sword, guess what it says? It says, in that day the Lord brought victory. As his hand was stuck to the sword, that day the Lord brought victory. Actually, what a good name, isn't it? You know, I should have made that one of the four E's of coastline. Then maybe we wouldn't have changed it, you know, but... Be a man who sticks to the sword. But anyways, listen. Stick to the sword. I pray that every single one of us, that our hands would be stuck to the sword. What's the sword? The Bible tells us the sword is the what? Word of God. I pray that we would be men, women, whose hands, whose hearts, whose minds become glued to God's word convinced of God's word, stuck to the point where you say, man, I can't let go. There's nothing else I can grab onto. 
I'm stuck to the sword. I'm stuck to God's word. Let, let me get back to those three things this morning. Number one, what does biblical thinking bring? Number one, and obviously, let, let me say this before I give it to you. There's so many. You're like, are these the only three things? No, there's actually a whole book full, full right there on your, your lap. Go read it when you get home. But, but I, I want to give you three that I think are important. Number one, thinking biblically brings healing. Number one, if you're taking notes this morning, I need, you need, we need God's word. We need the mind of Christ. Number one, because it brings healing. It brings healing. Psalm 107, verse 20. Psalm 107, verse 20, it says, He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. I love that. The word of God went forth. The word of God goes out. And what does it do? It brings healing. Some of us maybe grew up in very unhealthy environments, unhealthy homes. And let me say this, give me your eyes from in church. When you grow up in unhealthy homes with unhealthy thinking, it gets passed on to you, doesn't it? And it becomes the way that you think. It becomes the way that you see the world. It becomes your worldview. And he sends his word. You come to know the Lord. His word goes out. It touches your heart. And what does it do? It heals. It's not just emotional healing, but it's mind healing. It's, it's heart healing. It's correcting. He sends his word and he heals. Number two this morning, the second reason why I believe thinking biblically is so important is because number two, thinking biblically brings guidance. Thinking biblically brings guidance. Every single one of us in here, we need guidance. We need to know where to step, what to do, what direction to go. This isn't about living our life and doing our thing and just kind of existing and seeing where the wind blows. We need guidance. Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You see, if we read and heed the Lord's instructions, he shows us where to go. He shows us what to say. He teaches us how to make decisions. If you're here this morning, you would say, man, I'm so lost. I feel so lost in life right now. I would say that there's a good chance you might not have been in God's word lately if you feel lost. Because I know that when I read, God's word actually brings guidance. His word is a lamp to my feet. It helps, it, it illuminates my path. It helps me to see my steps. Number two, thinking biblically brings guidance. And then ultimately, number three, and we're going to finish here this morning, thinking biblically brought salvation. Thinking biblically, big picture now. Let's look big picture this morning. It brought salvation. If you're in 2 Timothy chapter 4, go one chapter um, back with me to chapter 3, and we're going to finish here this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's finish in verses 13, 14, and 15. Let's get through this and we'll be done. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, it says, But evil men and impostors 
will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Exactly what we're talking about, right? Living in a time where there's so many people who want to deceive you with things that are not true. He says, hey, pastor, hey, Timothy, be aware of this. Verse 14. It says, but you, pastor, you, Timothy, you, shepherd, you must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of knowing from whom you've learned. Let me, let me stop right there real quick. Timothy, I mentioned to you guys at the beginning of our study, he was Paul's son in the faith. I also mentioned to you that Paul met him along the way on his first missionary journey in Derby and Lister in that area. When you go back to 1 Timothy, one of the things you see about him is that he was raised by his grandmother and his mother. And so he comes from a godly heritage, a, a godly home. There were some godly women in his life who taught him the scriptures, who helped lay a foundation for him. And so Paul says, hey, Timothy, I want you to stick to the foundation, the foundation that's always been there, the foundation that's been there since you were an infant, since your childhood. Let me say this this morning, those of you who might be struggling, give me your eyes. I, this is probably the most important thing that I can say during our message this morning. If you're struggling if the enemy's gotten a hold of your thinking, get back to what you used to believe. Get back to what you were originally taught. If you've swayed, get back to sound doctrine. If you've been feasting on the unhealthy, get back to healthy teaching, healthy doctrine. Get back to truth. Why go, let's finish verse 15. And that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures. Timothy, you were raised in the Scriptures. Get back to it. It says the Holy Scriptures, verse 15, which are able to make you wise for what? Salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Thinking biblically, at one point, whether it was in childhood, whether it was at a crusade or at a church, it brought salvation at one point. Someone bringing us the Holy Scriptures, the Holy Word of God. We got saved. You guys can close your Bibles. We're done this morning. I want to go back as we pray. I want to go back to that day. I want to go back to that moment. I want to go back to the simplicity of the gospel message that saved you. For some of you, it was simply that Jesus loved you. He's madly in love with you. He's always loved you. There's been a plan for you since before the foundations of the world. Maybe it might have been a worship song that had to do with the love of Christ. For some of you, maybe it was a Good Friday or, or Easter service when you heard the extent of what his love did for you. And how far he was willing to go and die in your place so that you can be forgiven. And I want you to go back to that day and I want you to remember who you were before Christ. 
who you were emotionally, who you were in your thinking, and what the Lord set you free of. I want you to go back for a moment and think about the bondage, some of the things that you were enslaved to. And the Lord came and set you free. It says in Psalm, he, he pulled me out of the, the pit, set me on a rock. Go back to that moment. Go back to those simple truths. The simple truths that brought salvation. The simple hope of eternity, of heaven. The simplicity of our sins being forgiven. Now let me finish with this question. Why would we sway from that? Why would we say, I don't want that anymore? Why would we say, hey, I think I found something better? You can search and search and you won't find anything better. You won't find anything more true than what you have in your hands that you have in your lap. Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for just this moment that we have to be able to sit and to receive your word. I pray this morning, God, that the things we talked about, Lord, that the, the scriptures we went over, the things that were said, the charge that was made, I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be to sit under healthy biblical teaching. Father, I pray that our hearts would be to receive sound doctrine that will ultimately lead to biblical thinking. Lord, that's, that's the heartbeat of our church. Lord, that will always be the heartbeat of our church. Thinking biblically. I pray that you would help each and every one of us to come on board in a sense with this vision. Lord, that every single one of us would be able to say amen to this vision. That each and every one of us would say, hey, that's what I'm passionate about too. Thinking biblically. Living biblically. And so God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this truth in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Let's all stand.